Let me just make sure I keep everybody up to date on important uh, pulp culture things. Uh, the Yankees clinched uh, the American League East. All right, I know you are all concerned about that, but for me, one of the greater parts about the Yankees clinching the American League East is that the Boston Red Sox, was, they were eliminated from the playoffs. All right? So, um, now, the reason I say that is because the Yankees and Red Sox are like rivals. You know, they don't really care much for each other. Um, I mentioned earlier in the summer, my son Xavier and I got to go to Yankee Stadium and watch Red Sox and, uh, and Yankees play, and, and just watching the interaction between the fans is really interesting. Um, um, and um, as we're going through this series on Moses and Exodus, this morning we need to understand that, that God has no rival. Uh, th- there's not like this um, cosmic battle between God and, and good and Satan and evil. Uh, God is victorious. There, there's, there's no rivalry going on out in the cosmos. Like, it, it, God is in control. And, and the story of, of Exodus, it's really a story. Of, so, like, in Exodus, um, in Egypt, Egyptians had about 80 gods. Um, think about that. They're a polytheistic society. They had about 80 gods that would either help them with uh, water, land, or air in some way. Those gods would oversee the... So if there's a problem with the water, they'd pray to these gods. A problem with the land, they would pray to these gods. And, uh, and, and so God does not have any rivals, and He loves all nations. And so this morning, we're going to look at Exodus 7 through 10, and that there's no other gods before me. So this is one of the Ten Commandments, and I think the Lord was already establishing this concept um, with, with Egypt. He loved the Egyptians. Um, he created all people, and so it's not that he didn't love the Egyptians and the ten plagues was a punishment because he hated them. God did not hate the Egyptians. He loved them. Um, he loved them enough to mess up their life. Uh, Isaiah 42.8 says this, I am the Lord. That is my name. Now that should sound, if you've been coming every week, this should sound familiar language. Exodus 3, right? Who do I tell him sends me? I am sent me. I am the Lord. That is my name. This was, Exodus was the first time that God shared his name with his people. That is my name, my glory, I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. So here you have the Lord watching Egypt worship carved idols, giving their praises to someone else and not to him. Uh, this is, uh, let me scan the room. Any, any children still in here? Any young children? Under, like, sixth grade? None. Okay. You had, your, you had your, your chance. So this is my beef with Santa Claus, all right? See, Santa Claus, see, when, when you unwrap presents and, and look what Santa got me. And because of that, he will do whatever it takes to rock your world, to get your attention onto him. Matthew 18, Jesus says it this way. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into 
the hell of fire. So, so Jesus is saying, like, we, it would be better if, if, if your eye, or right before this he says your, your hand, causes you to stumble, to get rid of it. It'd be, re- it'd be better to go to heaven with one hand or one eye than go to hell with both. And, and so God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. Um, and so as we go through this Exodus story and the plagues, God was not shocked at what was going on. He knew all along what was going on. In fact, I'm going to argue this morning that this entire Exodus story is missional in its heart. That God was establishing His name, His glory among all peoples. He told, so here we have Moses, but if you remember before Moses, the reason that Moses is in Egypt is because there's a guy named Joseph. Joseph's father was Israel, or Jacob. His father was Isaac. His father was Abraham, who God made a covenant with, made all these promises with Abraham. So back in Genesis 15, 13, God says this. He says, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. Isn't this incredible that, that this was told before the Exodus story, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And so that's how long it was before, like the end of Genesis, the beginning of Exodus, it had been 400 years. And so God knew what was going to happen. He's sending them there. Uh, He was even, don't miss this. We need to understand this because some of you, when you go through difficult times, like we talked about last week, you just want to get mad and quit. Notice this language. God is sending his people to this land to be what? Servants. Don't miss that. And that doesn't mess God up. God's not concerned uh, because he's got a bigger purpose going on. And so when we get to the Exodus story, you're going to see God's concern about the nations, about all the earth. In Exodus 9, this is in the middle of uh, the plagues, he says, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Because the argument is, is why did he do ten commands, or ten, ten uh, plagues? Couldn't he just done one? Couldn't he just got it over with? Why all the suffering? And, and we need to understand that it was extremely gracious that God gave ten plagues instead of one. He didn't want to just cut them off from the earth. He wanted them to repent and follow him. The next verse says, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is concerned about his glory. He wants all people to worship him. Why? Because that's going to be the best thing that all people can ever do. The best thing you can do in your life is to worship the one true God. And God will wreck your world to get your attention so that you will worship the one true God. Any other God just will not satisfy you. That's what Adrienne was briefly sharing with us about, how she saw all this worship going on and she knew that there's no way that was truly going to bring joy and satisfaction. Then I saw this in studying. I've read Exodus, I don't know how many times in, 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 my, in my life, but I saw something new this week. Um, so he was extremely gracious to just to, to do all the plagues instead of just doing one. Um, and, and the heart of it was to get Egyptians uh, to believe in the one true God instead of having these 80 gods that they'd worship the one true God. And we see that it worked in Exodus 12. This is after the Passover. When they're leaving and crossing the Red Sea, it says, A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. I've never noticed that verse before. That when they left Egypt, 
that it wasn't just the Jews that left Egypt, that some Egyptians went with them. It's fascinating to me. And so, so here, there is, there is some people who God knew loved him, and he was going to rock the nation of, of, of Egypt um, so that these people could worship the one true God. So that brings us to Exodus um, 7 this morning. No other gods before me. And so um, I have four chapters to work through. I'm not reading it in its entirety. So I'm going to summarize these plagues. We're going to walk through these plagues and look at them. Um, But I want to set up the tone. And so if you will, if you'll start with me in verse 5 of chapter 7. And let me just pray for our time in God's Word. Father, we come to you knowing that you are the one true God, that you hold all things in your hand. And Lord, we are trusting that you're at work in our hearts, that we are here for a reason this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would not be hardened, that we'd be willing to repent and trust you with our entire lives. Not just a part of our lives, but with everything. And Lord, I pray that um, you give us ears to hear from your Holy Spirit today, that we would be um, changed, that your word would be powerful, it would penetrate our, our hearts, it would convict us. Lord, I'm in awe that you would use uh, someone of, of myself to, to be an agent of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you be gracious and kind to me as, as I uh, proclaim your truth this morning. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So we left off last week with... Um, the people of Israel being upset with, with, um, with Moses. They didn't really believe him or trust him. and Moses wasn't so sure that he could do it either. Um, but in, in chapter 7, you see this beautiful shift with, with Moses and Aaron. Um, you remember a few weeks ago, Moses kept complaining, kept making excuses. But from here on, he's, and he's a rock. He's... He's just committed, and that's what you'll see in this chapter. So let's, let's start reading in verse 5. It says, uh, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old. When they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, does that mess with you? That messes with me because, like, you watch The Prince of Egypt, uh, you had a great Disney movie, theological sound, like, they're not 80 and 83. Um, and, and so, I don't think we have anyone here who is in their 80s. Um, I just want, I just want you to know because we have some people here that think, like, I'm too old or, like, I, what can God use me for? Listen. Moses and Aaron were 80 and 83 when they started this, this journey, okay? So don't come to me and say, hey, I just, I did, I did that years ago, I, I'm, I'm retiring, okay? So I'm looking at, at those select few in here that might be in this category, okay? So we, we all still have a purpose. You're breathing, God has a plan for you. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. You see that phrase, it's repeated again. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. 
Now, I think, what's, I think this is um, black magic. I don't think this is any kind of like, if some of you know me, like you know I like magic. All right, and magic's all about deception, sleight of hand. This is not sleight of hand. I, I think this is demonic, and, uh, and so this, they produced a real snake. Um, and I love this. I love this picture. Verse 12, for each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Can you imagine seeing that happen? They're like, yeah, look what we can do. And then Moses and Aaron, serpent just goes over and just eats it. Take that. And like the language here is powerful. This, this idea of swallowed up, same language when the Red Sea comes back on the Egyptians and swallows them up, same language we see in the New Testament when Jesus... Um, swallows up death and sin like it's over, it's destroyed. And here it's this picture like, and I love that he starts, like, if you've ever seen a picture of Pharaoh, he had that little crown with a snake on it. And here, because that was one of their gods, and he just swallowed up saying, I am the Lord. Still, verse 13, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, all throughout this story, um, we're going to see phrases like, and Pharaoh um, hardened, or his heart was hardened, and then you're going to see at times where it says, and um, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, like, even if, you, if you've got a, a Bible in front of you, if you just jump back up to verse 3, it would say that. Um, and so, we've got to wrestle with this, and it's just... And it's this truth that, uh, that both are there, um, that somehow um, both are true, that God freely is um, hardening hearts. Um, uh, we even see that in Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs 21, where God, the heart, the, the heart of kings is in the hand of, of God, and he can um, move the hearts of kings. And then we also see here that Clearly, responsibility is upon Pharaoh. Pharaoh is choosing to harden his heart. We see that language. Um, and so some of you are going to wrestle with that, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep you up at night. Um, and, and, and it's going to be um, hard for you trying to fit God into this nice, neat box. Uh, there is a mystery to how this works. Um, but you have to understand that both are responsible. Uh, I don't know how you can get around either one of these. Some of you don't like that Pharaoh um, is responsible, and some of you don't like that God is responsible, and here the Bible says that both are responsible. So we have to rest with this difficult truth. Um, and hopefully your community group will have all the answers for you by the time we get to Romans 9. So... Um, So you see that in, in, in verse 14, um, uh, that, that the Lord says to, says to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. And so this is when the plagues begin. And so there's ten plagues. We're going to go through the first nine this morning. Um, just kind of walk through um, those first nine. So the first one we come to is water to blood. And that's found in those verses listed. Uh, and so the Nile River was, uh, man, it was incredible resource for the Egyptians. And it, it's, um, at this point, Egypt was the power. If you remember, if you have some background with, with the Bible, um, the reason Joseph and his family came to Egypt was because there was a famine in the land. And uh, Egypt thrived during that years of famine because of Joseph understanding those prophecies of the dream. And so the Nile played an important role for Egypt. And so God starts first with one of their greatest resources. Uh, and he turns this the water, which is huge, uh, and he turns it to blood. Um, 
And so verse 17 says this, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. And so Moses turns the Nile River into blood. Um, some things to note um, in, in this one is uh, um, just that you see the purpose here is that, is that people would see it and know that God is God, that Yahweh was the one true God, that there's no God of the Nile. One of those 80 gods, was that was his or her role in God saying that I have no match. Uh, there, there's no rival. Um, also, it's um, important, like this happened for seven days. The, the same magicians that we saw earlier taking the staff, turning into a snake, they did the same thing with the water. So they're like, oh, yeah, your God's so big, like we can do that too. And, uh, and, and, and so they weren't too impressed. It was inconvenient. Uh, we see them digging out away from it so they can get some water to drink. Um, you see that in verse 24. Um, but then this happened for, for seven full days. Um, but they weren't too impressed. So then we come to the second plague, frogs. So that's chapter 8, 1 through 15. And uh, picking up in verse 3 of chapter 8, the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your beds and into your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. All right, just let that set in for a moment. Like, all right, this is, this is more than just an inconvenience. We have frogs everywhere. Um, now, let me just, I was going to do this at the end, but I think it's probably good just to bring it up here. Andrew, can you go near the end and bring up where it has the ten plagues? Because I, I just want you to see this progression. So you have water to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, firstborn, death. Um, there's been so many theories. The, the interesting part is when you go to study this, scientists will even agree that there is plagues in Egypt that destroyed the civil, civilization. Kind of interesting, right? That even scientists would agree to this. However, uh, they don't talk about how it happened as the way your Bible would read. There, there's other theories on how these plagues happened. So as you look at this... Um, and, and, and there's similar theories. One is that um, just north of Egypt in the Mediterranean Sea, there's a volcano. The volcano erupted. And so when it erupted, it shot, you, you know, like just fragments and things. Just, um, it, it, it would interfere with, with the climate and just life. So what happened was that some of that volcano went into the Nile River polluted it, okay, and either had the appearance of red um, or the lava from your, or the, the ash turned it red, okay. So then the pollution drove creatures out like frogs. So it drove the frogs out of the Nile River. They couldn't live in the Nile anymore because it's polluted. So it drove them out. Well, they had no place to survive because the water was polluted, so they eventually died, all these frogs. So the gnats and flies came to eat on the frogs because it just stacked up. And so gnats and flies came to eat, eat and feast on the frogs. They also infected the livestock. The flies would bite. You know, flies can carry disease and germs. Um, could have been mosquitoes, other things going on. Bit the livestock. The livestock died. Um, then also when the volcano erupted, just influenced the atmosphere, uh, and, and some of the ash would come down and hit skin, create boils, plague six, also would interfere with um, um, j just the, the natural w weather, and so now hail was coming, um, 
and then uh, because of all, all of the, um, uh, the other creatures that are gone, now locusts swarm come out, and and uh, darkness comes again from from the climate of the volcano exploding and creating this darkness because it's so dense, um, and then um, the firstborn. Um, being killed is uh, explained by, because they're polytheistic, they thought, you know, all these plagues are coming, we need to sacrifice our own children. Um, but you can read articles where it talks about in Egypt, the history of Egypt, we'll talk about um, the, sl- like the children slain, um, these events happening. It's kind of fascinating. The other theories are similar to that, it all comes back to the Nile, and so there's an algae that took place in the Nile that polluted it, that made the frogs, and so everything else was kind of repeated. Um, the problem with all of these is that it, it points it more to Mother Nature and not our Heavenly Father's hand. Um, and and um, the Lord is moving these at His will. Um, and, and even like some of these only, have, only impact the Egyptians and not the Israelites um, who lived in Goshen, a part of Egypt. Um, and so it didn't happen to all of them. Like um, the livestock, the flies, um, the darkness, it was still light in Goshen, which was just next door. I mean, so it, this was a, a miracle happening, not just some random volcano. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because that's, You'll hear that when you start talking to people about the ten plagues, um, especially students, college students. If you take a class at Marshall, you'll hear this kind of language. And, and so, um, so if we go back to chapter 8, verse 3, we see that there's frogs everywhere. Um, and, you know, I'm not even scared of frogs. I don't know how, if any of you have, like, some weird fear of frogs. I'm not afraid of frogs. But to think, like, they're just everywhere, like, they're in your bed, uh, they're, they're, they're in the kneading bowls, man, that's enough um, to, to frighten me. And then the magicians, it's important to note, the magicians performed the same miracle. They made frogs as well, uh, and, and, and frogs was a, a one god that the Egyptians had. It had the image of a frog, and so here God, again, is attacking one of their gods, saying, you, I, am, I have no rival. You have all these gods. You really just need one, one good one. Uh, and, and so um, you see that in verse 18 and 19. Magicians uh, try their secret arts. Oh, that's, I've, I've gone too far ahead. So the, next, the fourth plague was gnats, uh, and this one's a little bit different. And so now, verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So here, we'll start to see in this, as this unfolds, that the people began to turn on Pharaoh. That, that as they experience these plagues, you see the, the magicians begin to say, this is different. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh didn't want any part of that. Why? Because Pharaoh was himself a deity. He was considered a god. And there was no way he was going to bow down to some other god. He, was, he himself was not going to share his glory with another. So you have God versus Pharaoh, and ultimately we know who, who's going to win this every time. And so we come to um, the fourth plague, flies. So we have water to blood, frogs, we have gnats. Fourth plague is flies. I feel like that happened this summer in Huntington. My house, we had flies everywhere, man. And so here in, um, in, in verse 20, 
It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. Man, can you picture that? That's crazy. We keep reading, verse 22, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. I love that God's making distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. That God's people experience blessing. Pharaoh's people are going to experience curse and plague. Now, as a reader, I'm reading this and I'm just curious. Like, when I put myself in this, like, do you run, like, outside of Goshen and, like, jump into Goshen? And, like, there's just, like, a wall of flies. You know what I mean? Like, do you do that when you read the Bible? No, just me. Like, I love to put myself in the story. I want to know what happens. Like, when you're standing in Goshen and look out towards the rest of Egypt, do you just see walls of flies and you're like, I'm not going to work today. There's, I'm not going out in that. Like, what does that look like? We don't know. Just, there's a separation. There's some way that the flies knew, like, they were flying, like, going to get this guy, and like, I can't go in there. Like, the Lord is in control, is what we see in this passage. This is incredible. Now we get to the fifth plague. Fifth plague, uh, livestock die. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And um, just some things to point out as we go to verse 6. Um, prior to verse 6, same, same kind of pattern. Um, Lord says to Moses, go in the Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, uh, the God of Hebrews, let my people go, they may serve me. I just want, you know, when every time Pharaoh sees Moses, you know he's going to be like, what? what what, now? You know, what's next? Um, but so far he's not, he's not too impressed because he continues to harden his heart and he's not letting God's people go. Um, again, there's a distinction. Now, this is an important distinction because of later um, God makes a distinction between e the Egypt, Egyptians' livestock and Israel's livestock. Uh, in verse 6, we see, And uh, the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Now, think about what's happening here. Um, God is wiping away everything that they worship. Everything that's meaningful to their life, God is ripping it from their hands one at a time. Like, like the water that was so valuable, I'm taking it from you. The animals that's important to you, I'm, I'm taking them from you. Taking them all. Uh, then he gets to health with the sixth plague. He's going to attack them now, personal. The sixth plague is boils. Uh, and just a note on this one. When the boils come upon them, um, it's not on the screen, but verse 11, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Uh, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So the Lord keeps bringing these, um, the suffering upon the Egyptians. And, and, uh, but again, this play of the hardening of heart continues to happen. We get to the seventh plague. And in verse 14, we see this plague is 
clay of, of hail, um, I can't imagine how large it would have been to see what happens. It says, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. This is, this is missional. This is God making himself known to the whole world. It's part of what's going on here. Um, for by now, I, I, I could have, um, verse 15, could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This has a missional purpose. God will not share his glory with anyone else. He wants all people to worship him. God is not just the God of the Jews. Christianity is not just the religion of America. And so I know sometimes we get international students that come and think like, well, in America you just worship, you're, 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 uh, you're just Christian in America. Well, a lot of international students realize quickly that we are not a Christian nation. Uh, we are a very worldly nation that has some Christians in it, but we are not a Christian nation. Um, but God is the God of all nations. And, and, he's, and he wants the Egyptians to worship him because that's, be, that's the best thing for the Egyptians. And what he's doing here, it, it's so huge that it doesn't just impact the Egyptians. After, so spoiler alert, they get out of Egypt and they um, make their way back to the promised land. Um, and as they cross the Jordan River, before they cross the Jordan River, they send in some spies into the land to, to kind of evaluate it. Who are we going to have to fight against? And um, when they go over, some of these people run into this lady named Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. Listen to what Rahab says when she encounters these spies. Joshua 2. And she said to the men, I know, so this is Rahab, I, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Now, why would they do this? Next verse. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Uh, you see why she believes in the one true God? Because she's heard about what happened in Egypt. So part of these plagues, it's so that the world may know who I am, that I don't mess you know, I haven't seen these shirts in years, but when I first started on campus ministry, um, these shirts were more popular. Um, but you remember when we saw the Lord, like when Moses first saw the Lord, there was that encounter of the fire, and how when Moses started to, started to approach, God said, stay back, take off your sandals, you're walking on holy ground, that God is holy. You remember that week that he's above us? There, there used to be these shirts, and it would say, Jesus is my homeboy. I don't, there's none of you remember those. But that used to drive me crazy. And like, I kind of see what they're getting at, that, that we have a friend in God. But we can't just get, we can't look at Jesus as just being our homeboy. He's our God. He is above us. He is the king of all kings. And he's coming back for his people. And when he comes back, it's going to be full of wrath. And you want to make sure that you're on the good side of King Jesus. And, and so 
Rahab knew this. And she said, I, I know that your God is the one true God. And this is, a, this is a beautiful that Rahab in this moment, she's brought in. It's like she gets the, she's saved from her belief. Like saved physically, also spiritually. We see her in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith. It's incredible. So here, um, uh, in, in, in Exodus 9, uh, verse 27, we see some of the outcome that happens. So hell comes down, and it's, it's destroying. I mean, it's just, it's killing. Lie, uh, uh, let's see, let me see if I can find it. Um, In verse 25, hell struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Hell was coming down, killing people. You think how big that would be. Uh, And then in verse 27, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. So you see some, at at least verbally, some here, some, some repentance. This time I have sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pharaoh's saying this. But, um, you know, maybe you've said some things to God, I know I have, where I've um, you've apologized or repented, but then I, it wasn't true repentance, I continue to do what I just repented of. Pharaoh plays one of those kind of games in verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and that the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Uh, And so maybe that verse kind of sticks to you. Maybe you've been repenting a lot and apologizing to the Lord for certain things and yet you sin yet again. Then we get to the eighth plague, locusts. Verse 16, 17, uh, then uh, Pharaoh um, hastily called to Moses and to Aaron, said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So within this one, this one's interesting because um, in 7 through 11, there's like this negotiation that happens to where in the midst of all the locusts coming, and could you imagine that, how loud that would be? Uh, I know, some, you know there's certain years where locusts are worse than others, and it would be extremely loud, uh, and, so, and now they're destroying trees, so everything's gone, the, the, the beasts, you know, livestock's dead. Now the trees are gone, vegetation's gone, locusts have destroyed it. And in the midst, Pharaoh's trying to negotiate. And Moses says, let us go. And Pharaoh says, well, who's going to go? If, if, if you're going to go, let me just, let's talk this out. Who's all going to go? And Moses says, Every, all of us, us and, and the little ones. And, and Pharaoh says, no, there's no way. No, no way are, am I going to give up the children. Like, that's, that's too valuable. That's future work workforce, and, and um, I'm not letting them go. It, even gets, it, it gets to the point to where even Pharaoh's servants, with this plague, Pharaoh's servants are fed up with Pharaoh, that, that they are grumbling with each other about Pharaoh. And then we get to the ninth plague, and this is where we'll stop this morning. The ninth plague is darkness, um, chapter 10, 21 through 29. Again, um, negotiations take place. Pharaoh says, okay, take your children and go. And, and Moses says, well, we need to take our livestock with us because we need to make sacrifices. And, uh, and Pharaoh says, absolutely not. Then why would Pharaoh not want them to take any of their livestock? Because they no longer have livestock, and so he's already going to take their workforce, at least leave us some food or things to make sacrifices with. 
And, and, and Moses says, nope, it's all or nothing. And, and Pharaoh says, fine, you're not, you're not going. So, okay, well, darkness comes in. Um, verse 23, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all of the people of Israel had light where they lived. Uh, isn't that crazy to think about? I mean, you know, we have street lights. There is no street lights. Well, all they had like the moon and stars for nighttime. Um, the Lord took that away, blocked out the sun, just dark, three complete days. My brother lives in Alaska, and there are seasons where it's dark for days, but it's not like this dark. This is dark, dark. Um, and, and so... Verse 28, 29, then Pharaoh said, get away from me, take care, never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. So Pharaoh is kind of prophesying. He's saying, if you come in here again, I'm going to kill you. Next time I see your face, you're going to die. But what he doesn't realize is this is a true statement, but it's going to be flipped. The next time Pharaoh sees Moses, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. Uh, and so here's the ten plagues. Um, you see them all just up. And um, next week we'll look at the worst one of all, the firstborn die of every family. Uh, and um, just want you to think about this as a missional passage that God is about all the earth. And that he will do whatever it takes like he did to the Egyptians to wreck their kingdom to get their attention to worship the one true God. And here's the application I want you just to think about this morning. What in your kingdom do you hold so tight that you are clinging to that's keeping you from surrendering all to God? Because you each, every one of us, we, we, we want to be autonomous, we want to be Pharaoh, we want to rule and reign our own lives, and there are things that we think will bring joy in our lives if we can just control. And, and there's a list, and in this room, the, the idols in this room would be so diverse. There's so many idols in this room. You don't carve them out. But you, you, you bow down to them. They control you. They worship you. Or you worship them. And um, th Things like materialism. Some of you, you love material stuff. So you, you, you're going to put in more hours at work. Or, or, or you're, just, you're at Marshall and you're just pursuing the greatest degree that gets you the most money because you want the stuff. That you want heaven on earth. And if you get the stuff, then you're going to have happiness and joy. So you're chasing after materialism. Some of you, it's relationships. Man, if I just had this girl or this man in my life or this amount of kids or, or just there's a relationship. Um, there's just status that may come with. If I just had, you know, these friends, then, then they would look at me this way or... Um, Man, there's so many different things in this room that we worship that we think is going to satisfy us. And I just want to warn you. Realize that God brought plagues upon a whole nation to get their attention. What's to keep him from doing that in your own life? That he'll rip away all the things that you think that you're searching after to get joy and satisfaction, and he's just ripping it all away so that you will worship him and him alone. Not him plus something else. That's what a lot of us, I think, in this room, it's not that you don't want Jesus. You want Jesus plus something. That Jesus isn't sufficient. And I just say, don't waste um, or minimize your suffering. 
like God may be doing a great work in your suffering, that He's trying to get you to worship Him. And I think sometimes when we're going through difficult times, suffering, we just want to wish it away. But think of that passage I read earlier from, from, from Matthew 18, that, that it's better to have one eye or one hand and enter into life than have both and enter into hell. So maybe there's some suffering, um, something um, going on in your life that, that you just want to wish away. Don't wish it away so quickly. God may be trying to show up um, in the midst of that, trying to teach you something, trying to help you see that He is sufficient, that He is good and kind, even in the midst of your suffering. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And so I just want you to search your heart right now. Are you going to harden your heart like Pharaoh? Are you just going to refuse to let go of those idols? Are you going to let go this morning? That Jesus is sufficient. That he's enough. That you don't need Jesus plus 80 more gods. That he is good enough on his own. So we see this beautiful picture here uh, of just God loving his people enough to allow them to go through some suffering so that they can have ultimate life with him. And that's ultimately what the gospel and the cross is showing us that God loved us enough, Christ loved us enough to where he suffered. Uh, so that we may have life. Uh, and, and so I want you to meditate um, just on what are you holding on to that you're not letting go of. So let me, let me, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you'd reveal whatever, uh, that we're just being stubborn and, and clinging to that we just won't let go of. Lord, I pray that we would... Um, be a part of your kingdom that we would not try to establish our own kingdom. Lord, help us to, to see our hearts. What are we holding on to where we won't let go? Where are we not being obedient in our lives? Lord, I pray that you would convict us of, of our sin, that you'd give us the desire to repent and the grace to repent and respond. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't take ten plagues to get our attention this morning. I pray that your spoken word, that the Bible as we read it would be sufficient, that it would convict us, that we wouldn't need uh, your hand um, ripping things away, that we would be able to see those things in our, in our hearts, Lord. May we be obedient to you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.